of 1 John chapter 1. Now you understand this, this is the same John that wrote the, the gospel of John. Okay, the gospel writer John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this is the same guy. Okay, so this is basically an addendum, if you will, to John 1.1. 1, 1. John 1.1 1, 1 says this, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. He spent the entire book of John trying to explain that one verse, and here he is in first, second, and third, still trying to explain it. And he could still have a lot more books trying to get, trying to explain in the beginning was the word, the word was God, the word was with God. Meaning this, that we know who the word was, right? Because in verse 14 of John 1, he said, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory talking about Jesus Christ. So he explains that in in the whole book of John, proving that Jesus was the son of God. So. John chapter, first John chapter one, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. Do you understand what he was saying? He's like, I've seen him. I've heard him. (laughs) I've touched him. And he is the word for the life was manifested And we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the father and was manifested unto us. So he was saying the gift of eternal life in John 3, 16 was manifested unto us. We saw him, Jesus Christ, with our own eyes. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you. This is what he's saying. Verse 4, we want your joy to be full and this is how it's going to be full. That God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Continue chapter two. My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous And he is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now that's doctrine, but that's shouting ground. If you don't believe this, 
If you don't believe this basic doctrine of the Bible, my friend, you cannot be saved. Because this proves to us that Jesus, the Son of God, was made the propitiation or the covering or the replacement of our sin. And we're going we're to get into that here in just a little bit. So when people have studied human behavior, there's different types of groups that will try to study human behavior. And this is, this is what they come up with. The philosopher would say that human behavior is basically predicated by uh, the good and or evil nature. Basically, uh, if you're surrounded by good or evil, then your morality uh, dictates your human behavior. So good or evil, the nature uh, that is implanted in you uh, will determine your human behavior. The uh, sociology would say that certain social groups that we belong to, the interactions we have with certain people dictate our human behavior. The biologist would say that it's all genetic, that we act the way we do because of our genes, okay? The psychologist would say we act the way we do because unconsciously the way our childhood started out and the way we were developed at childhood, that determines how we act in the future. Well, really, when you boil it all down to it, every one of them is right. Okay? Every one of them are correct in, in, in a way. But the problem is, what a lot of them don't bring in is the fact that culture adds to human behavior. Okay, I'm going somewhere. You just stick with me, I promise. Culture determines our human behavior. Why? Because culture is always changing. The problem with culture is this. Culture always abandons standards. So you as a person can try to keep up with the times And you can try to change with culture, but guess what? You may be relevant, but you never know who you are because your behavior is always changing with what the culture does. And are we not having that same thing happen in the church today? Churches are changing the way they do things to adapt to the culture. And by that, they're abandoning the standards of God. That's, that's an amen point right there. So, we've, I've neglected to tell you about one other group. There's the theologian. The theologian is the study of God. That's what that means. And the theologian would tell you that human behavior, true human behavior, is the revelation of the divine character. That means when God is revealed to us, then that will cause us to have a behavior that will be pleasing unto God. And and here's the difference. Because when we have a a character or, or when we have a culture that goes against God and removes those standards, we still have to live in that world of an ever changing world. 
And listen, folks, as a child of God, we may have to adapt, but we do not have to change our standards. There are some things that we may have to adapt because of the culture and we may have to change them because they may not be relevant today as they were 50 or 60 years ago, but that still doesn't mean that we have to change the foundation or change the standards. You say, what are you talking about? Case in point, COVID. COVID. We had to adapt and we had to change the way we behave around here. But we never change the standard one time. Let me give it to you this way. We have this beautiful building. We can remodel it on the inside, but we'll never change the foundation. The foundation will never, ever change. What I'm trying to tell you is this. Yeah, some things may adapt over the years. We're 51 years old this year. We'll be celebrating our homecoming. And I guarantee if you go back and look at pictures from 51 years ago, people look different. Buildings look different. Buildings that existed no longer existed. But guess what? We still serve the same God as we did 51 years ago because he is immutable. That means he never, ever changes. God's standards are always sure and they never change. You say, what does that have to do with 1 John chapter one? You're asking great questions. Because in this, we have a standard that tells us that if we have a correct view of God, we'll have a correct view of others. That's basically what 1 John chapter 1 is all about and what John was trying to teach. That if we have a correct view of God, we will know how to interact with other people. Now let's dive into this. Is everybody okay so far? That was pretty boring, right? But I promise you it's going to get better. Okay, the reason why John wrote this letter, he's trying to head off at the pass some teaching that was coming down the pike. It was heresy, basically. And here it was. There was a teaching that was coming in and and, and intermingling among the Christian people that Jesus was a deity, but he did not come in the flesh. That's what they were teaching, and it was working its way in amongst the children of God, and they were starting to believe it, and they were starting to adapt to that culture and to that change. And so John is writing this later to uh, try to clear up this heresy that was being taught. He was trying to get to make sure that they had a clear view of who Jesus was naturally, but also supernaturally. And as I stated before, 1 John chapter 1 is just an extension of the gospel of John. Remember, he was trying to explain who Jesus was in John's gospel. He was trying to explain that he was the son of God, that in him was light and in him was no darkness. He was explaining that. And now he's continuing to explain that. He's trying to say he is God. Beside him, there is none other. And don't you believe for one moment that he was, that he did not come in the flesh. He did come in the flesh. He said, you want me to prove it to you? I saw him with my own eyes. I've touched him with my own hands. I hugged him. I walked with him. I saw what he can do. And he was the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He was proving that. 
And he was trying to explain this heresy that was coming out and the problem with this. And so he opens up this scripture and in verse 5, he gives us the first view of what he's trying to teach these people. He said, in order to understand this, you have to understand, first of all, in verse 5, he says that God is light. Now, that's very important that he said that. We're going to dig, dig into that here in just a little bit. But remember in the book of John, he, the I am statements in the book of John, there were seven of them. And one of those statements was, Jesus himself said, I am the light, thank you, of the world. And so he was proving that here. He, he said it again. He said that God is light. And so when Jesus came, this was important because when Jesus came, he was the revelation or the illumination of God. The reason why he said God is light because he was trying to show that the light of the world that came into this world really showed who God was. We could not get to God. We still can't get to God. That's why Jesus had to come. If he did not come, we would have no hope in this world. But I'm thankful he was robed in flesh. And when he came, he revealed God to us. So he explains God by being the light of the world. He explains who he is, that he was the way, the truth, and the life. God, God is light means that he explains God. But then secondly, notice this, by him being the light of the world and God is light, it not only explains God, but it engages fellowship. Look at what he said in verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we will have fellowship one with another. Remember what this, I said this chapter represents? If we have a correct view of God will have a correct view of how we treat others, right? So if God is light means that Jesus, the God in, God in the flesh revealed who Jesus was to us. Secondly, that means he shows us how we are to engage in fellowship with one another. What that simply means is this. You have to take me if I belong to God. And guess what? I have to take you. Because if I'm in the light and you're in the light, I have to have fellowship with you. That means if you say you're a Christian and that one you can't stand says that they are a Christian, you have to somehow get along with them. You don't have to go out to dinner, but you got to get along with them and you got to have fellowship with them. Boy, I'm hitting some snags right there. I have a saying that I love the Lord Jesus Christ with all my heart, but sometimes his people get on my nerves. And there's no doubt that I, I get on your nerves. Don't say amen, Heather. But I'm not, talk, I'm not talking about personality conflicts because we all have different personalities. We all have personality quirks that some of us just, you know, eh. but I love you and you love me. You have to. It's what John said. If we walk in the light, as he's in the light, we'll have fellowship 
one with another. So that means you cannot be saved and have an unforgiving heart. You can't say you're a Christian and be mean and hateful. Hey, this ain't, this ain't Rubyville's bylaws. This isn't the way I feel, even though I do agree. This is the word of God. If we walk in the light, as he's in the light. If I'm walking with Don Kidder and we are both in the light, I have to love Don Kidder. Now, me and Don Kidder have nothing against each other at all. I love him like a brother and he loves me like a brother. But if there ever came a time when me and Don Kidder had a fallen out or we had a, a disagreement, we have to agree to disagree and still love each other even though we disagree. This is why I love Rubyville so much. Because I'm telling you, if we all ask you where you came from, what denomination you came from, some of you don't even know what denomination you came from. We've got everybody in here. We've got Methodist, Baptist, Free Will Baptist, Pentecostal, Church of God, Presbyterian, Episcopalian, Catholic. You think I'm lying? We got all kinds of backgrounds here. But the, it's all true. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we'll have fellowship with him. That's why God blesses us tonight. It's because we don't, those denominations don't matter when we walk into this door. All we're doing is focusing on the light of the world, Jesus Christ, and we want his light to shine upon us. Amen. Thank you. Can't be mean and unforgiving if you're walking in the light. If there is someone in this church that you cannot speak to because you hate them that much, and if they are a child of God and you say you are a child of God, you have to love them. Am I I speaking the truth? I am. So get your heart right. Get your heart right. Brian, you don't know what they did to me. I don't care. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we'll have fellowship one with another. Now, you don't have to go on a date with him. You don't have to buy him a Christmas card. But have fellowship with him. Amen? Amen. Well, you're loving that, aren't you? I'm, I'm, if you want to grow? This is how we got to grow. This is how it's, we got to handle stuff like this. The the light of God, the light of the world, God is light, explains who God is because it reveals who he is through his son. It engages fellowship, but but listen here. The light of God exposes sin. You think that was tough, but just hang on. See, if you walk close to Jesus, it'll not only expose the anointing, it'll expose the sin. How many of you like to watch those crime scene shows? Those are, I love those things. I never did understand for the life of me, Grissom walking into a well-lit room and getting out a flashlight. But Bob, as I get older 
and my eyes were growing dimmer and I need contacts, I understand. I could be in a well-lit house and I'm trying to find something on the ground and I got to go get a flashlight to find it. Why? Because concentrated light exposes what you're looking for. And the light of the world, Jesus Christ, God is light. It'll expose the anointing on people, but it'll also expose the sin. Remember in Exodus chapter three, when Moses was tending his father-in-law's flock, he was out there being a shepherd. He didn't know anything was wrong with him. But then a bush caught on fire and the light of God shone in his heart and he realized that he needed God in his life. Remember Isaiah chapter six, when he saw the glory of God fill the temple and when he saw the brightness of the glory of God, what did Isaiah say? Woe unto me for I am a man of unclean lips. Remember when Peter the apostle saw Jesus? He said, get away from me, for I am a man of unclean lips. He said the very same thing, because when the light of the world gets close to you, it'll truly expose who you are. And so the light of the world exposes the sin. You, I, I got 10 more minutes, right? Uh, we're going to get through this. And so he shows us how we, you know, the, the light of the world, it, it, it explains who God is through his son, Jesus Christ. It engages fellowship, but it also exposes sin. So now that we've got this sin problem and it's exposed the sin, we got to find out how to get rid of the sin, right? Right? Okay. So he shows us how to do it. Look with me in verses eight and 10. Okay. Because there's, there's two different types of sin that he's dealing with. I never caught this before until I looked at it a little closer. Verse 8, look at what it says. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Go to verse 10. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now, he's saying almost the same thing, but he's not. He's actually talking about two different things. In verse 8, he's talking about the nature of sin. But in verse 10, he's talking about the practice of sin. So let's look at it that way. Because doesn't the Romans tell us that all has sin and come short of the glory of God? So we believe here, I believe through the authority of God's word, and I think you believe the same thing. When we are born into this world, we are born into sin. Sin has been passed down. Since, since the Garden of Eden, since Adam and Eve fell in the garden, sin has been passed down from generation to generation. We are all born into sin. And so if you say that you're not born into sin, verse 8, the nature of sin, you deceive yourself and the truth is not in you. But once you have come to that saving knowledge and you say you have not sinned again, then you make God a liar. So what's he saying? It's like this. I came to Jesus at the age of five years old. September the 6th, 1981. I can, 
I can point out some of you and you could tell me my own testimony because I've said it so much. So I just turned 48 last week. So 43 years ago was the initial salvation, Ryan, when I asked Jesus to come into my life. I had to believe in the nature of sin. I had to believe that I was a sinner in order for me to be saved from hell. Have I sinned since September the 6th, 1981? Shake your head. This is the right answer. George Holly. And if I say I haven't, then I make God a liar. That's what he's talking about in verse 10. Okay, so we understand that. But he, he, I love how God works because he shows us and reveals to us through his light that we are sinners, but he gives us the remedy. And the remedy is verse nine. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Are you ready? This is really good. This is really good. That word confess in the Greek means, let me get it right, to speak the same thing. So what that really means is that when the sin is revealed to us and we know that we are a sinner and Jesus says you are a sinner and you need me in your life, you know what you're saying? Yes, I agree with what you're saying, Jesus. And I know that I need you. It doesn't mean that you have to get up here and confess everything that you've done. He already knows that. All you gotta do is say, yes, I agree that I am a sinner and God, I agree with you. I am guilty as charged. But when you confess that, and when you agree to that, here's what comes with it. He is faithful. That word in the Greek means trustworthy and just. That means he's right. So if we agree with him that we are a sinner, he is trustworthy and right to forgive us our sins. Aren't you thankful for that? To forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now you would think those are the very same thing, but those are two different things. Do you like this? Is this good stuff? This is, this is gonna get even better. Check this out. To forgive us our sins. Forgive, and that in its original Greek text, means to cancel a debt. So when he says, when we agree that we are a sinner and we confess that and agree we are on the same page, he is trustworthy and he is right to clear out our debt. He covers our debt. You say, Brian, what is the debt? The debt is the sin debt that every one of us owe, that none of us don't have a big enough check to cash it. Hallelujah, but thank God, one drop of his blood cleansed our debt and got rid of our debt and covered it. I've said this a million times, but for those new people that may not have heard this story, my dad years ago was raised in the Free Will Baptist and when he, when he uh, got to being around some holiness people and some Nazarene and Church Christ Christian Union, they sang a song covered by the blood. 
And we sing it here, don't we, sometimes. What's in sin's darkest night? I was wandering along, a stranger to mercy I stood. But the Savior came nigh and he heard my great cry and he put my sins under the blood. They are covered by the blood, covered by the blood. My sins are all covered by the blood. My dad would hear that and get mad. So they're not covered, they're washed. It's my dad, what are you gonna do? You gonna argue? <laughs> but then the Holy Spirit showed him what that meant. One day he was eating and the waitress brought him the bill and the bill was say 15, $16. He had that debt. He put a $20 bill on it, Darren. And he said, that'll cover it. Boom, the light bulb went off. See what I'm talking about? The light, the revelation of Jesus, the revelation of God. And he said, that's what I've been trying. That's what God's trying to been show me all these years and I was too stubborn to see. Hallelujah, I had a debt I could not pay. And he slapped his blood on it and said, that'll cover it. <laughs> I always like to say this, Jesus covered your sin and you get to keep the change. Amen. That was a good one. So he canceled our debt. But then he says to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So Jim, listen, it wasn't enough that he canceled our debt, but he cleansed us. Are you ready to get a little real? Can I tell you what this word cleanse means in the original Greek? I ain't gonna tell you because I don't have to tell you. Let me just tell you where the word comes from. It's the word where we get catheter. So what he was saying is, and you all know what that's used for, is to rid our bodies of the contaminated fluid that don't need to be there. It's the contamination that doesn't need to be in our body and it cleanses us. That's the picture he was painting. Not only does he cancel our debt, but he cleanses us of all our spiritual unrighteousness. Now, some of you ain't shouting because you're too far removed of the dirt that you were in. But <laughs> I've heard your testimony and I've heard some of y'all, you were in the depths and the muck and the mire of sin, but hallelujah, he picked you up canceled your debt and cleansed you. You are a new creature in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. So he cleansed us. And, then, and uh, so that brings us, give me five more minutes. I'm sorry. So that, that it, he cleanses us of the sin, right? So, so we have to know that sin literally means to miss the mark. And, and you say, well, Brian, what's the mark? The mark is God's standards. Okay, so we're tying this all together back to the very beginning. And when we have sin in our life, we can break it down two ways. Sin literally means independence from God. That means we're trying to run from God. When there's sin in our life and we're not doing right and we're not living right, the first thing we wanna do is to not come to church, not fellowship with other believers, we want to run away, right? What did the prodigal son do? He ran away, tried to run as far away from God as he possibly could because there was sin in his heart. And we want to do the same thing. But not only do we want to run from God, but it also desensitizes God's presence. 
So when we have sin in our life and you come to the house of God and there's sin in your heart, you will not get out of the service what someone that's clean will get out of the service. Because I heard some people say, well, I didn't get anything out of that service today. Well, what did you do the night before? You come in here carrying a load of sin, I assume you ain't gonna get nothing out of the service because there's sin on board. And God's not gonna bless a sinful heart. Somebody say amen, I'm still preaching. So that's what sin does. But then he, can, he continues on it and he, he tells us there's, remember we have the nature of sin and we have the practice of sin. He says, I realize that when, he, when we're cleansed and when we cancel our debt, we have a new life that we're living. But then he goes on to say in chapter two, verse one, he says, my little children, I'm, I'm writing these things to you. Don't sin. Please, don't sin. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. But if you do. You know what John is telling us? And I'm getting to the end. John's telling us. We don't. We don't willfully sin every day. And then lay our head down at night and say, God, forgive me what I did today. That's not Christianity. No, that's not being a true Christian. I don't wake up every day, Don, saying I have to sin today in order to prove how wonderful God is. No, don't sin. Don't sin. I wake up every day of my life trying to do my best for God and not sin. But John, if I do, he's saying sometimes we're gonna mess up. Sometimes we're going to miss the mark. Sometimes we're not going to live holy. Sometimes we're going to sin. But if you do, we have an advocate. Come here, Blaine. Blaine works for our sheriff's department. I've asked him to help me. I don't want any cuffs, brother. <laughs> Okay, so I'm guilty. I know I'm guilty. I've been charged with sin. I didn't want to, but I'm guilty. If you're gonna go pick up somebody that's guilty and you've got a warrant or whatever it is, outstanding warrant, and you've got to go pick up and they're charged with a crime What's the first thing you do when you get them there? And they, whatever you do, I don't, I don't want to be cuffed, but just pretended I surrendered. <laughs> he wants to cuff me really bad. He already told me. He wanted to give Heather the key, so that way. <laughs> so you got to read them the Miranda rights, right? Okay, so uh, what, what are the Miranda rights? Mr. Bear, you have the right to remain silent mm -hmm. 
anything you say can will be used against you in a court of law. Right. If you cannot afford an attorney, Listen. one will be appointed to you. Say that again. If you cannot afford an attorney. One will be provided for you. Okay. Is that it? <laughs> it's been a while since I've read it. Our tax dollars at work. <laughs> if you decide to answer questions without an attorney, you can stop at any time to consult with an attorney. Mr. Baird, do you understand these rights I've read to you? I truly, totally understand. So if I don't have an attorney, if I can't afford one, one will be appointed. Correct. Thank you. At no charge. Amen. At no charge. Well done. Okay. Yeah. I'm guilty. Don't sin. Don't sin. But if I do, I have an advocate. I've got to go to court, Don. I'm guilty. I know I'm guilty. And I deserve to pay for my sin. Here's the bad thing is, the judge says I'm guilty. The prosecutor agrees that I'm guilty, but I've got a problem. I know I'm guilty. What am I going to do? I can't afford an attorney, but hallelujah, one's been appointed for me. (laughs) And his name is Jesus, my advocate. Now, here's the problem. I'm guilty. I have to pay for my debt. And I have to pay for my crimes. Guess what my advocate does? He takes my place. That word advocate is the same word we get paraclete, which means he's beside us doesn't mean we ain't going to have to face some things. doesn't mean we ain't going to have to go through some things in this life. But he's walking right beside me. I'm thankful I have an advocate. Don't sin. But if you do, you have an advocate that will be appointed. Because you can't afford what he costs. <laughs> But hallelujah, he already paid the price to take your sin away. Aren't you thankful tonight that we have an advocate with the Father? His name is Jesus. Well, I'm done. And if you need to be set free of your sins, we've given you the formula tonight. Remember, you don't have to tell everything you've done. You can't even remember all that you've done. But Jesus does. Actually, Satan does too. (laughs) He's got receipts with dates and times on it. But the greatest thing about it is Jesus cancels that debt with one drop of his blood. If you need the Lord tonight, maybe you have, you're walking in the light, but there's, You can't have fellowship with everybody because there's some things in your heart you need to take care of. I beg you, if you want to live a truly 
joyful life in Jesus. Make sure you can have fellowship with everybody.